Welcome to Politics and Psychology. I'm Dr. Renee Carr, and please introduce yourself in the chat or on social media. Today, we are talking about how our government, businesses, and our society are only caring about this one disorder. And for this one disorder, in adult males, it occurs in only 0.005% to 0.014%, or rather 5 to 14 out of every 1,000 adult males. In adult females, this disorder occurs in only 0.002% to 0.003%, or rather 2 to 3 females out of every 1,000 adult females. And in children, in both boys and girls, there is only a 1% occurrence, meaning that only 1 in every 1,000 children have this diagnosis. And when we add the highest numbers together, that equals 14 plus 3 plus 3, or 20 people, what we see is that in this one diagnosis, there are only 20 out of 1,000 people affected in our country, but it's the only diagnosis that is affecting every part of our lives. So please listen in to hear more, and if this did not be a one-sided or a one-time conversation, please also give your thoughts or questions in the comment section below. So in psychology, there are 297 mental health disorders and conditions. In medicine across the globe, there are over 70,000 medical conditions. Yet there is only one diagnosis that your employer cares about, that politicians care about, that the news cares about, and that even your children's schools care about. So of this combined 70,297 diagnosis, why is it that our government, business, elected leaders, and society only care about one? Well, the answer is it's because this disorder is becoming a multi-million dollar business for almost every corporation and because it's a new political strategy to win elections. So now you're like, okay, well, what is this diagnosis? So the diagnosis is, drum roll, gender dysphoria, which is the scientific name for it, but in the social realms, it's called just simply transgender or transgenderism. So think about this. Have you noticed how much news is dedicated to covering gender dysphoria or transgenderism or how much social media content focuses on just this disorder alone? Or what about at your own job? Are you being forced to have a, a focus on pronouns when referring to your coworkers? Are you forced to put a pronoun specification on your work email? What about this whole identifies as? Are you being forced to use the phrase of identifies as when referring to individuals? Well, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this is an example of how this one disorder that occurs in such a small percent of our population is becoming so pervasive that even people who don't even have this diagnosis, which means the other 9,980 individuals of 1,000 are being forced to alter their life, their social interactions, or workplace behaviors just because of those 20 individuals. So let's look again at the prevalence of gender dysphoria. So again, as I mentioned, in adult males, this disorder occurs in only 0.005% to 0.014%, or again, 5 to 14 out of every 1,000 adult males. 
in every 1,000 adult females. It only occurs in two to three of these females. And in children, both boys and girls, it's only one out of every 1,000 children meet the diagnostic criteria for gender dysphoria. So if we consider that this disorder affects only 20 between male, female, adult, and children, every 1,000 people, only 20 are affected. So then if we have these numbers, why then is this disorder that affects so few people beginning to consume almost every part of our lives? So let's look at other diagnoses. So in case, you know, I want to focus on using science and using unbiased information. So we want to do a comparative analysis. Okay, well then what other diagnoses are there? Because maybe that might be the general prevalence for all disorders. So let's examine the most common disorders in America. Let's look at depression. 7% or 7 out of every 100 people have depression. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder is 1.8% to 5.8% of menstruating women, or if we round it up to every two to six women out of every 100 women who are menstruating. Let's look at alcohol use disorder. This is commonly known as alcoholism. So with alcohol use disorders, we have 8.5% or 8.5 out of every 100 adults. And in adolescence, we have every 100 will have 4.6 or just rounded up to five children or adolescents who are experiencing alcohol use disorder. Now let's break it down to alcoholism and gender. We have men experiencing alcoholism at a rate of 12.4% or 12.4 out of every 100 adult males and 4.9% or 4.9 out of every 100 females have alcohol use disorder. Now let's look at PTSD, which is also very common. In our country, we have 3.5 out of every 100 adults in our country experiencing PTSD. Now, PTSD is more likely to happen in military veterans. So if we look at military veterans, the rate of PTSD is 7 out of every 100 veterans or 7%. So if we're going to look at the numbers or the prevalence of disorders, we see that side by side, out of every 1,000 people, we can estimate that 124 men will have an alcohol use disorder 70 out of those 1,000 adults will have a depressive disorder, 35 of the 1,000 will have PTSD, and 70 out of the 1,000 military veterans will have PTSD. Yet for gender dysphoria, there will only be 17 out of every 1,000 adults. So let's look at the children in our country. Autism is also a very common and well-known disorder, but an autism spectrum disorder One out of every 100 children have autism. When we look at intellectual developmental disorders, and this is what used to be called mental retardation. So the new terminology is intellectual developmental disorder. So for this, it's also one out of every 100 children will be born with intellectual disabilities. And for older adolescents, so we'll have over childhood, so between 13 and 18, and anorexia nervosa, which is when you're restricting your eating, very thin, you have a very distorted body image, you think you're fatter than what you truly are. 
So with anorexia nervosa, it's four out of every 1,000 adolescent females. So on a cross comparison with gender dysphoria for every 1,000 children or adolescents in our country, we can expect or we can estimate that four adolescent females will have anorexia, 10 children will have an autism spectrum disorder, and another 100 will have an intellectual disability, but only one will have gender dysphoria. So in every instance, looking at the statistics, we can see that the most common long-term disorders in our country are significantly at a higher rate and with a higher intensity of gender dysphoria. This is for both men and women and in both children and adolescents. But still, why is this the only one that people are caring about? And that's because it's the only diagnosis that's being exploited for dollars and for votes. So again, think about it. Our veterans have given their lives for our country. Their families have made huge sacrifices for the rest of us. Marriages have had a lot of stress because the other spouse is usually outside of the home, fighting in the war, protecting the home front, or just being on active duty. Yet our government only gives them one day to be celebrated, but we're celebrating 30 days or a whole month of June to celebrate persons with not only gender dysphoria, but also other sexual and identity disorders. Thinking about that continuing, why does our government not celebrate our veterans as much as they do persons with gender dysphoria? So we see that there are veterans who are more likely to be homeless than celebrated in our country but persons with gender dysphoria are given government protections in almost every facet of legislation, including housing and including their workplace or their employment. Whereas that same level of protection or respect is not created through legislation or just common courtesy from our government. And again, it's because gender dysphoria is more of a disorder that can be leveraged and exploited for power as well as financial gain. And the reason for this is because when you look at gender dysphoria, it's an internal psychological distress of feeling different from who you are biologically. You feel as if you are something other than what you are. This is the same thing as multiple personality disorders, which is now known as dissociative identity disorder. In both instances, you have a person who feels as if there is another being inside of their body that doesn't represent who they feel or who they think they are on the outside. The difference when we look at clinical treatment of multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder, which is DID, when we have DID, the therapeutic goal is to help that person reconcile and have their alters, which is the alternate personalities, have those be treated have the person healed from the trauma that even caused those other personalities to develop and then have that person be a cohesion of just one personality, which was ideally the person they would have become before their trauma. So the treatment is to not celebrate those trauma-induced personalities or other identities, but to help heal and integrate them into one being. But with gender dysphoria, the treatment is not to help them heal, but to help them stay in that level of confusion, in that anxiety, and with that dysphoria, meaning a 
distant and opposite discomfort and distress of recognizing who they are outside as well as who they are inside. And because this disorder and this separation of their identity with their biological presentation, because they can still go to work with that, whereas you are not likely to be able to do so with DID or any of the other diagnoses such as depression or PTSD or anorexia, with gender dysphoria, you're able to still go to work, which means you have an income. If you have an income, you're more likely to buy things. And companies who want your money are going to want to support you staying in that dysfunction rather than being healed. The same thing comes for when you have gender dysphoria compared to PTSD. Gender dysphoria, you're seeing a lot of promotion and celebration and being proud of the dysfunction and the disorder, and you're going out in public. Whereas with PTSD, the trauma keeps the individuals within inside their community or in a very safe, limited environment within their home, or definitely not going to the polls where there's a lot of different people. So with gender dysphoria compared to the other primary diagnoses that are so common in our country, there is more of an opportunity for those individuals with gender dysphoria or GD to be able to be out in the public spending money and casting votes compared to the other very severe but more common diagnoses in our country. And so it's the opportunity to make millions of dollars off of this diagnosis That is the reason for why we're seeing so much more of legislation, elected officials, or your corporations supposedly caring about this person's rather than actually helping them to heal or caring about them more than any other diagnoses or any other population of persons with psychological distress. Now, there are six main industries that are profiting significantly over the exploitation of gender dysphoria. You have hospitals because now there is a new market for children who are experiencing gender dysphoria either authentically because of a chemical imbalance or because of true psychological distress, but also experiencing it because society is telling them that if you experience any physical discomfort during puberty, then that means you need to recognize that you are not feeling exactly who you are. So there's the exploitation of society pushing children into something and someone who they are not, but you also have the actual psychological condition. But in both instances, the hospitals are benefiting from creating a service to have gender, they call it gender transitioning and gender affirming, but what it really is, is genital removal or genital alteration services. And so this is becoming a market in a revenue stream for them. You also have pharmaceutical companies who are benefiting from the disorder because in order to try to make you not have arm hair, if you are a female and then you want to say that you want to be on the outside looking like a boy, if you are a female, then you might want to have more underarm hair. You might want to have more muscles and look more masculine And so therefore they will have hormone suppression medication. And then you have to take another medication for hormone increase to help make you more masculine. So they're giving you extra medication for testosterone and then giving you extra medication to take away or to decrease your estrogen levels. The same thing, but in an opposite way for little boys who are saying that they want to have 
their penises cut off. And I did an episode and I included images of this, but what happens is when you have these genital surgeries, think of a hot dog, they slice it directly in half and then they fold it inside to make it look like a vagina. And then they have the little tip of the penis where it's most sensitive for men to have it to look as if it's a clitoris. And that way they can have some type of sexual stimulation. But of course, it doesn't really work and it won't be as pleasurable nor as productive as if they had just left their penis intact. But the business of that is what keeps this industry going, despite the obvious mutilation of children's bodies or even of adult bodies. Another industry that's benefiting from this is the professional licensing and the training industries. So I'm a psychologist, but I don't work in a traditional psychological setting. But there are psychologists, there are other medical professionals, there are social workers, medical doctors, even persons who are in education who now the professions are benefiting from an increase in their revenue by making it a requirement for your license to now support individuals with gender dysphoria and not supporting them based in the way that would be aligned with pure science but supporting them to stay within their dysfunction and to just keep going to therapy or keep taking this medication to make it more unhealthy for them to stay in it rather than to help them heal and become a comprehensive view of who they are as one person rather than one person feeling as if they are two different type of genders on the inside versus outside. You also have the education, which is for graduate school and undergraduate by now creating an additional field of study by adding this to quote unquote gender studies, then they're able to have an additional revenue source for tuition as well as able to promote themselves as a gender affirming college, which will then of course attract them to have more government funding if they are a government institution, as well as attract other dollars from more private donors who also want to support individuals staying within gender dysphoria rather than being healed from it. You have clothing, as you can see, Adidas. And then last but not least, you also have the news. So the way that the news makes money off of exploiting gender dysphoria is that by them giving news that people want to hear, whether it's true or not, they're able to have higher numbers or higher views. Those higher views trigger advertisers wanting to then have more exposure to that captive audience. So even if the news station or the news conglomerate doesn't believe in gender dysphoria because it's making money for them and they believe in the money of it, then they will continue to promote a message that focuses on what is financially beneficial rather than what is therapeutic or even ethically right. And we're even seeing industries that have no connection with gender or sexuality also trying to benefit from gender dysphoria. For example, we have the beer companies, for whatever reason, deciding that this needs to be part of their branding, and even the National Hockey Association. So what me, you know, to me, what makes this even sadder is the fact that as a psychologist, then it's obvious that these companies and industries are not really caring about the person but what they are doing is exploiting them. And instead of helping these individuals get the help that they need to overcome the disorder, they're encouraging them and trying to make laws that help maintain their disorder rather than to treat it. 
They would rather financially benefit from cutting off your penis or removing your uterus rather than providing the mental health treatment that you need that will be unbiased and geared toward true health rather than a financial benefit. What you're also seeing is that when you have even psychologists or master's level counselors who are beginning to take these trainings on gender affirming care, they are now in some states being required to take these classes to then provide quote unquote gender affirming care or to write letters to the doctors to support having the endocrinologist, to having the hormonal therapy, or to having the actual genital removal so they can have the psychological letter to support having this medical surgery. And some clinicians are doing it because they're focusing on, I don't want to lose my license because this is my income, or, well, I'll just go along to get along and I'm not going to really care about it. So even when it comes to mental health professionals are either being exploited or they're benefiting from it as well, if they give into the rhetoric of we have to just support this disorder regardless of the science behind it and what some of the media is promoting is that if you don't give these children or if you don't give these adolescents the gender surgery or the genital removal surgery, they're going to commit suicide. But you're not looking at the actual studies or the science showing that they may still commit suicide even if they do have those surgeries. The surgeries don't do anything but give a cosmetic change, but it does not address the underlying issue. But they're not saying that because they're afraid to speak out or they are benefiting from it financially, so they don't care about what happened. Also think about it from an industry and revenue perspective. In their minds, it's better to make millions of dollars by withholding the mental health care and by charging you for these services rather than providing you the mental health services that you would then have to have the government paying for or the insurance companies would pay for, but at a lower or reduced rate. It's more financially beneficial to sell you hormones and chemicals that affect your outside appearance or surgeries that change your outside appearance, but for them to still ignore the internal pain that they are experiencing. Now let's examine the elected officials or persons running for office and how it has become commonplace for candidates or people in office to use their campaign platform to include the promotion of this disorder. And that's because they are seeing votes attached to it and because of the money that corporations are giving them. So when it comes to a candidate receiving money, very high dollar, multi-million dollar PACs, which are political action committees, they're organized to have donors given to this PAC. That PAC then gives to the preferred candidate. But the individuals and companies that give to the PACs are often, when it comes to gender dysphoria, they are the ones who are already financially benefiting from exploiting this disorder. So if they're getting the money for it, they're going to then give it to the candidate who is also going to continue the promotion of the disorder because the promotion of that disorder versus the treatment of it fills the pockets of the persons who gave to that pack in the first place. And the messaging for that candidate or elected official is, well, we care, quote unquote. But in reality, they do not. 
They only care about their votes or their political power, their bottom lines, and their stockholders. And if these industries are elected leaders or our government really cared, they would show the same bold and aggressive actions with the disorder that affected much more of our population. They would care about the health and welfare of all disorders, not only the ones that they can financially benefit from or gain power from. So when you're listening to the news, please do not be fooled into thinking that gender dysphoria is as common as they are saying it is. And I gave you those prevalence rates using manuals that we use in psychology as well as for in medicine. So in psychology, it's the DSM or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is what we use to diagnose a disorder as well as to guide our treatment in it. When you have medical doctors, they use their medical manual or the ICD, and the ICD is based off of the International Classification of Diseases, which was developed by the World Health Organization. And in these manuals that guide our medical and psychological treatment of individuals, it clearly outlines the prevalence as well as the type of expectations or the prognosis of treatment of how effective it will or will not be. And these are based off of long-term or longitudinal studies of letting us see if we provide this therapy, does it change this diagnosis repeatedly for the same group of individuals or the same body types. And so if we're seeing that for over 20 years, having this surgery does not increase their longevity of life, it does not decrease suicidal thoughts or suicidal actions, nor does it increase their levels of happiness, But if they're encouraging professionals and even persons using that science to either alter the science or to ignore the science, then it's really showing that, yes, we know the truth, but it's more beneficial for us to ignore the truth because we can gain from this. So again, please don't be fooled into thinking that gender dysphoria is as common as they are saying it is. And also don't be gaslit or with gaslighting, be made to believe that withholding their proper treatment for gender dysphoria is a good thing. Don't believe the hype that you have to go along with the mental confusion that they're experiencing because this helps them or because you're being considered sensitive to their needs or you're being inclusive. You're only hurting the person using the guise of inclusivity because it underneath it all financially benefits those who want that inclusivity to be of a financial benefit rather than a true inclusivity of healthy individuals. Also, if you could help spread the truth and the facts of gender dysphoria, and also don't believe the lies that genital removal will help children avoid suicide, because again, it does not, And don't let yourself be bullied into a corner and hide yourself or even be forced to believe that you are helping someone or doing a good thing when you are encouraging a person with gender dysphoria to continue to live in that dysfunction and to celebrate that disorder rather than helping them to be proud of getting the help that they need or celebrating getting their mental health treatment to recover from that diagnosis. So whether it's a true diagnosis or one that they are just accepting as a solution for their unhappiness, when you give into calling a person the gender opposite that they are, 
that only reinforces them saying, okay, well, I guess it must be okay. And maybe this really is the answer, or maybe it is okay for me to deny who I really am because maybe that really isn't good enough. Instead, celebrate who they really are. In your workplace, you may not be able to actually do so. So your way of getting around it, rather than addressing them through the opposite gender, or by even adding the they, them, unnecessary pronoun, which is more definitive of a multiple personality disorder rather than gender dysphoria. But anyway, instead of giving into pronouns that are incorrect, you can just safely use that person's name because names can go across genders. For example, I'm Renee, depending on how you spell it, can be male or female. You can have a boy who is Chris, a girl who is Chris, so it's okay to use the names because that would be respectful of their names. You can be a superstar and call yourself, what was that one guy's name? The, um, the Rod person, I forgot his name, the black basketball player. Me- Mega Manus. Anyway, you can call yourself anything that you want to call yourself for your name. So it's okay to use that person's whatever they want to change their name to, but you can use that as your workaround to still address them and refer to them by their name rather than referring them, referring to them as their gender that is not truly who they are. And lastly, you can also use the science that we're discussing today and the statistics that we are discussing today to empower your conversations and to equip yourself when you're making voting decisions, as well as when you're having these discussions with your family and friends. And whenever you do so, remember to use science and love. And if you run too fast.